Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Adam Lindemann is the proprietor of the influential New York gallery, Venus Over Manhattan. He's also a collector. We spoke on Thursday afternoon during the New York Contemporary Art Auctions. Adam, thank you for taking the time. Sure. First, let's start with the auctions. We've almost finished the week, and I wanted to get your take on what's happened. I think everything did am- I mean, I was just blown away by everything. I thought the prices were really strong. Yeah, young stuff is strong, classic stuff is strong, and the kind of mid-careers are just like, they're out of the market. They're just not there. And why is that? Because there's not hotness. It's either blue chip or young and specky. It's either one or the other. Nobody wants anything else. You know, they'll pay four or five million dollars for a Wade Guyton, but uh, Ellsworth Kelly's two million bucks. I mean, Wade Guyton's much more expensive than Ellsworth Kelly. Maybe the market's saying that Wade Guyton's a much bigger artist than Ellsworth Kelly. Seems weird to me, but hey. Look at Wade Guyton, you see how many hands go up in the room. Look at Ellsworth Kelly, eh, maybe it sells. Can we talk for a second about the Richard Prince market? I mean, I noticed that one of the uh, Prince nurses did very well at Christie's on Monday night, uh, but then later in the week, uh, another nurse uh, didn't do so well. And I'm, I'd like to hear a little bit from you about how those compare. I think the one at Sotheby's was, um, had been retraded like five different times. So this was really one of this like carousel nurses, whereas the one at, uh, in uh, the Monday Night Christie sale, the, the If I Die sale, um, that was like the cover of the catalog. That, that really holds a, a very unique place. It was the cover of the original nurse catalog, the nurse of... Uh, so, and it was also the 78 inch size or whatever. It was the big size and it was the cover of the catalog. And it was a like super duper successful painting. Whereas the other one was, you know, a nurse. Someone made a joke. It says, because it says millionaire nurse, it's no longer valid because it, it's living in the world of billionaires. It would have to say billionaire nurse to get the, to get the money. <laughs> but it's funny because Richard Prince a year or two ago was not in the same place. So it shows, I think that, you know, well, first of all, Richard has made so many different types of things and the work's kind of diverse, so people can get lost in it. It's much easier for someone to come in and just like pick an artist who always did the same thing. Uh, But on its face, why is a Cindy Sherman photograph worth more than a cowboy or a girlfriend. Why is a Cindy Sherman photograph worth as much as spiritual America, which is like a central thing to his entire practice? Not that I'm against Cindy Sherman, but clearly the market favors Cindy Sherman over Richard Prince photography, maybe because he also made paintings and hoods and other things. Uh, You know, you look at these artists like Mark Grosjean, Wade Guyton, Cindy Sherman, Robert Ryman, like they always do a thing and the market rewards them for that because the guy goes into the auction, he knows what it is. 
Whereas unless you really follow an artist's practice, if the artist is diverse, to me it's obvious, but to someone else, they're like, well, is that really, like, is that? Oh, Richard Prince did car hoods? I, I didn't know that. How can you not know that? He's done it for 25 years, you moron. But no, that's the reality of it. And then I was surprised by certain things where the private market is higher than the auction market. So we had like a reversal in some specky things. So like when you look at this sort of Joe Bradley market, um, we thought that thing would do more. Um, the Joe Bradleys didn't do well at auction. They do better privately than at auction. Why is that? Because Joe's work is not really, I guess, a hot potato. It's not really speculated. That, it's like people who really want it. And so um, when people are looking for it in the secondary market, they get to pay up for it. But at auction, the people who go to the auctions, they've never heard of Joe Bradley. I guess. It certainly seems as though we have these artists who come, have a frenzy, and sort of evaporate. Um, Jacob Kasai, Ged Quinn, maybe not evaporate, but at least they come off the market. Well, many of these artists run their course. Like, they hit that number, and then they get to a number that becomes so high based on, a, like, a short squeeze situation. There's very little work. People want it. The dealer's doling it out to their preferred clients for whatever reason, in some instances, nonsensical reasons, but the dealer doesn't have to make sense. He's got the artists, and it just some of them are whacked, and they just put it in whatever place they put it. And so then there's a short squeeze. So the people who also want it but don't know that dealer, don't have a relationship, they will drive the price up to like 800, 900 million dollars, and then it gets there, and suddenly at a million dollars, they hit the breaking point. Because at that number, well, there's 20 people who want out. And suddenly, it went from having not one for sale to 20 for sale at a million. Well, once there's 20 for sale, the price dropped to 400. And those 20 people don't want 400, so they're sort of stuck. I guess that brings up the question of auction prices and, and how much they affect the rest of the business. They, 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 there's the perception that the auction price is the real price. And what, what frustrates me, uh, I mean, I very much enjoy doing the, the shows and the curatorial part of this program that we have here and that uh, we're, we're pretty proud of. But um, people think that the gallery price is, uh, is, is suspicious, whereas the, the uh, auction price is the real value. And in fact, uh, auction prices are, are very often today higher than, than, uh, than gallery prices. That's just a fact. But, you know, people are lazy. Uh, people think auction is right. They don't really know what they're looking at, what they're doing. I mean, you know, this sort of old school collecting is a bit passe, and people want to feel like there's underbidders and there's an estimate, and, and that they feel that's for real. And I guess you can't blame them if you have a limited amount of time that you're going to spend looking at art and understanding the value of art. I mean, I was thinking about uh, a guy who came in here. He was a big hedge fund guy who I've known. And I had a Calder show at the end of the year. And he loves Calder. And you know, as a collector, I have my Calder in my living room. And that's mine. That's not on the show. But in terms of the Calder show, we had a number of Calder opportunities. 
And I said to the guy, this is a great opportunity. This is, a, this is colder for Christ's sake. These are wonderful uh, values, as I thought they were. And we had people interested, and we had some people um, buying the show. But for the most part, um, they're kind of like, well, when I look at the auction comps, the value of this, based on Artnet, is this. And I'm like, well, these auction comps were a year or two years ago. I'm not selling you the price of yesteryear. I'm telling you that this is a good value right now because I know this market is going up. And that's, you know, I did the show because I love Calder and because I think it's a good investment. Like, I wouldn't offer you something that's not good. And they'd be like, they'd be like all suspicious of me. Like, you're trying to, you know, you look at where the auction prices are. I was like, well, if you like these auction prices, then you should have been there last year buying these auction prices, but you didn't. And I'm telling you what the next auction price is going to be. And of course, in the end, uh, Calder set a you know, world record at $26 million. And so everything I had in the show looks relatively, um, I don't want to say, use that uh, C word, but I'll say, looks like a relatively fair or even very good value. Can we switch for a second and talk about the guarantees? The whole week seems to have been driven uh, by guarantees, either third party or auction house provided guarantees. And for a long time, people have complained those aren't real prices. Uh, and yet the auction seems to take place only because there are guarantees. And people are sort of still griping about that. But it's weird because that's obviously like the future and it's already here. In other words, the only good sale is a sale that has been fully guaranteed. If the sale is not fully guaranteed or if the house had to keep the guarantee and couldn't lay it off, that tells you that their sale isn't very good because, you know, the stuff that was, the guarantees that were sold, that means that this is work that actually transacted in the marketplace. And uh, when uh, Loic Guzer's sale was criticized as being fully guaranteed, I, I was like, wow, are you not understanding what's happening here? We are now in the world of the fully guaranteed sale. The successful auction is the auction that's fully guaranteed. And yes, it's, it's less fun to watch because in many instances it just hits the guarantee and it's on. But you know, when you buy a work of art at auction, you buy it with a disadvantage, which is huge, which is that everybody knows what you paid and everyone's seen it. And the presumption is that that's its value. When you buy something privately, it could be worth anything. It's never been at auction. It could be high, it could be low. And if you buy it privately, you have the option of still putting it to auction. Whereas if you buy something at auction, you turn around and you try and sell it next year, no one will touch it. So it's fried. So to buy things privately is actually better for you. But these people are not understanding that. They just want to go to auction. And that's what they want. So they're right. You know, the customer's always right. Um, I think the fully guaranteed auction is, 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 is here. And even if you look at what was written about Sotheby's sale last night, um, there were very few bidders in the room. but. 85% of the sale transacted. Well, if, there's a, if you buy something with a guarantee, then theoretically you want the thing, or at least you're willing to own it, and then you're buying an option call. You know, you're, 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 you're paying a bit of a premium, but what you're getting is you're getting the work plus an option call. And the option call is that someone else will come in and pay more than what you've 
that what you've guaranteed. And the thing is, if you want it, you always have the option of bidding in the room anyway, so above your guaranteed level. You know, the other thing in the auctions that people don't take into account is that they have a, a, a group of experts. Every auction is curated. The idea that Louis Guzers was, I mean, that was a more narrowly curated, focused on what a certain type of like more contemporary trophies of now, let's say. So it wouldn't include Clifford Stills and Rothko's and Calder's and whatnot. Um, even though I think Calder fits well with everything, but nonetheless, um, uh, every auction is curated. This is what the auction house thinks they will sell on that given night. So when things don't sell, that's like, whoa, the auction house experts messed up. Um, people th somehow think that what's coming up at auction is just what people wanted to sell. No, it's of all the things that were presented, that's what these people thought they could sell on that night. Yes, I think people forget that if an auction house doesn't make a sale, it doesn't make money. It's that we, we, we've also learned that the auction house doesn't need to make money. I mean, Christie's doesn't, is not about making money, it's about market share. And they've succeeded, succeeded in squeezing Sotheby's um, to the point where, you know, if their sale is bigger, then they're perceived to be better, then more people want to go to them. And, you know, Sotheby's as this public company uh, focused on like earnings per share and bottom line, that is what created the situation that we have now because they're trying to like create earnings and their competitor is just creating market share under the theory that if I have huge market share, the day that I want to turn the spigot, well then I can make it profitable when and if I choose to. But as a private company, I can just grow my company and not necessarily be sort of um, um, uh, myopically focused on EPS. And I think this is something that, uh, this is how we got Sotheby's where it is now. Yes, but where Sotheby's is now is partly a function of the expectations that the market could become so much bigger. And yet you saw the reaction to these sales, these very big sales this week. Uh, many people were, were shocked and, and disturbed by them. You know, I, I guess the wonder is how big can this get? Uh, you know, how far can it go? And I also think that in the grand scheme of things, the whole art market is just a teeny tiny little puddle. It gets a lot more attention and a lot more press and a few rich people and a couple of celebrities sprinkled in. But really, I think it's a, it's a, the, the art, the whole art market is a, uh, is like a less than a sort of a, a stock move on Google in a day, you know? I mean, many of these hedge fund managers could like buy the whole art market. I mean, it's like they could buy the whole evening sale. In other words, there's a lot of um, um, focus on it and it's a very interesting thing to watch because it's all about psychology. Um, there's no rules about it. It's a moving thing, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, the market could double from here if more people were interested. Why not? I mean, this thing could get much bigger than what it is. So maybe these are like the growing pains as it gets out of what it used to be and becomes something completely different. I don't think there's any more. I mean, there used to be art market crashes.
I mean, the market tried to crash in 2009, and people wouldn't let it. It like dragged it out of the crash prematurely as people started to speculate on young artists and go nuts on them. Well, people want to, they want to have fun. They're like, this is a form of fun. They want what's hot, they want what's moving um, in, in the young stuff. And uh, that's bigger and wider and broader than it ever used to be. And there's nothing going to stop that. Well, that may be the perfect place to stop. Adam, thank you. I will let you go, but thank you for your time. Thank you, Marion. Thank you for listening to the Intelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 